What is up, everybody? You're listening to Cocaine Willie, and tonight we'll be reviewing the unfortunate loss that took place in Manhattan to the Texas Longhorns last weekend. And we will also be talking with Mark from Our Daily Bears after we had confirmations from two or three different folks who all dropped out within the past 12 hours. But we are here and we are ready to rock. Finally, we will round out the conversation with our locks and some hoops talk as the Cats took down UTRGV in their first win of the Jerome Tang era. Fireball Matt, it was great to see you this weekend. How are you doing today? Dude, it was great to see you as well, as always. Love uh, love tailgating with the Cats with you. You were one for one this weekend. I mean, I know the Cats lost, but at least the Chiefs pulled out a, a great victory on Sunday night, so you did not leave Kansas City without feeling on top of the world. And uh, one, I, I am one in one in Chiefs games that I've attended that go into overtime, the first of which was uh, the Tom Brady game and D Ford lining up offside. So at least we got uh, one overtime game where, where the outcome wasn't a loss. So feeling good about that on my end. Good chef. How are you doing today? Howdy partner. How are you? I got to be great. After that Texas beatdown we just took, I feel like a, a straight Texan, you know, I hate that we, it just was, Oh God, man, I feel owned by Texas right now. It was brutal, at least the first half. And I mean, if we're being honest, Texas has kind of owned us over the last six years. I'm, I'm just, I'm frustrated that for a six straight time, I have to go to bed with my significant other, and one of us is a winner and one of us is a loser. I'm just ready for them to leave the conference. I'm ready to be done with it. I want them to move on. I would like to get one more win, of course, but. I'm just, I'm done. I'm done with Texas. What if Texas wins out? Hold on. Yeah. What if Texas wins out? We win out. Do we make it to the Big 12 championship game? I mean, that kind of depends on if TCU can stumble more. Right. Yeah. I think if if Texas wins out, we win out, and TCU loses out, I think we're good. Yeah. And you can get your redemption. Yeah, because we at that point would have, I mean, we in Texas would have two losses, right? Each in conference play. That is yeah. correct. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope that, that happens. I don't want that. I mean, how does that work, though? If TCU has the tiebreaker over us, but Texas has the tiebreaker over them, wouldn't TCU be in? But they have three losses. If they, if they lose three times, we're good. Yeah, but yeah, okay. But yeah. oh, you're saying if they lose two times, if they lose two times, then we're still just out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. By one ga- by a half game. Yeah, not ideal. Obviously, not ideal. Um, but that uh, that leads us to the subject we've all been waiting to talk about for I guess four days now, which is the Texas review. So. Uh, just a quick overview of the game. I mean, there were some major, major defensive woes in the first half of the game. And in classic Steve Sarkeesian form, I feel like maybe one of them had predicted it last week, but there was a second half collapse for Texas. Uh, you couldn't, you couldn't have scripted it any different than any of Texas's previous games where, where they've had that happen in conference play. And in case they did mount a comeback in the second half, 
that ended up culminating with a couple of turnovers by Adrian Martinez, some bad clock management and lack of urgency by the coaching staff, or at least seemingly so from, you know, section four of the stadium. And ultimately the cow, the, the cats fell short to the Longhorns 34 to 27 on Saturday. So with that, as we were kind of alluding to the cats no longer control their own destiny, but if Texas slips up this weekend or in any of the rest of their games, or if the wheels off just completely come off of the TCU wagon, then K-State can still make the Big 12 championship game. But, but we, I mean, pretty much everything we have to win out at this point, unless some really weird stuff happens with some of the other teams in the mix, TCU, Texas, Baylor, et cetera. So, uh, fellas, what are your initial thoughts on the game this past weekend? And with three games left to go, how are both of you feeling about K-State's chances to make it to Arlington at this point? Well, you know, it it was a game that mightily disappointed me, um, at least that first half. I We had not this season seen that defense crack as much as they did. And it, it really looked like we were going to get our asses handed to us for 60 minutes. Um, obviously, the second half was a really strong try to climb out of the, you know, climbing the ladder out of the hole we've dug ourselves in. Um, defensively, they came together and were able to get some stops. Offensively, you know, we we did see a really good performance from the offense, at least in the second half. Um, but it was just a lot of these little misgivings that add up over the span of a 60 minute game. And you're not going to beat a team like Texas like that. Um, so it was disappointing. I, I don't feel great about making it to the big 12 championship game at this point. Um, I, after watching Texas this past weekend, I feel like they're a better team than TCU. Um, I, I really do. I, I think they are getting themselves together and this weekend we're going to see it. Um, so I don't like our chances to make it to Arlington. Um, we're going to have to get lucky. We'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, chef, what about you, man? I mean, it was tough. I mean, I'm sitting, you guys obviously were there. I'm sitting on T at the TV, just watching. And at, when I first see them line up, you know, right before Julius Brintz, I mean, we had a lot of momentum before Julius Brintz got kicked out. I think that deflated a lot of things on that first drive. They they were bigger and more physical up front than I really expected, just being how they're so young up front. But they were – and the refs let them play. So, you know, they can get away with a lot more, especially in the in the trenches. They were getting away with a lot of stuff, a lot of holds a lot of like bear hugs, pulling people to the ground, but they were just very physical. And what I really credit the win, well, the first half to is Texas was off the week week prior. And Steve Sarkeesian, let's not beat around the bush. He is a very good coach. In my opinion, I think he's a very good offensive mind. And when you have the resources that Texas has, where they have analysts out the wazoo watching K-State film for two weeks, 
plucking us apart, like seeing what our weaknesses are for two whole weeks, they schemed up a very, very good attack for us in that first half. So defensively, we were on our hill, on our heels, not really knowing what was going on because, I mean, it wasn't a tackling issue. It wasn't that we were getting into the gaps and Bijan was just beating the hell out of us. It was they schemed up a very good offense. Bijan was in gaps. Roshan was in gaps. And we weren't there because they schemed it perfectly for where we were at. And then the second half rolls around. Clandy gets his hands on the defense, gets them on the board, tells them what we need to do, and we hold them to three points. It was a very good second half, a tail two halves. And I, I attribute it to Sarkeesian getting those two weeks to get his offense where it needed to be. But our offense, you know, it was consistent. But the turnover bug finally kicked in for Adrian. And I wouldn't even say it's a bug. I mean, that last strip sack, we're trying to make a play. We got to go down, make a play. I, you, you said the time management was an issue at that that last uh, scoring drive we had, I think that one was even a bigger one where we didn't call a timeout. I mean, we're at the almost, I think we're at the 50 close to it. We have to get our best plays. We're not, don't just go out there and try to do, do hurry up when you have two timeouts in less than a minute, get a timeout, get your best plays, scheme them up. And, you know, it just didn't happen, but, like you said, we we got owned by Texas again. You went to bed upset. Your wife went to bed happy. I'm sure you guys have resolved your issues, but I'm I'm not too thrilled about it. But you know, we played a full quarter game and we didn't quit. So you know, that's something, I guess. Moral victory for me. I'll I like moral victories. God damn it. I mean, we we talked about it last week, and we heard from from the fire of the cannon gals last week. They they both said it, or at least Fancy Boots was was talking about this with the with the scripting that Sarkeesian does. He just does such a good job of it, and the game, the offense, everything is clicking when they have those scripted plays and that scripted offense running. And then when you get past whatever the script is. Once they're getting into improv mode, it's it just falls apart for whatever reason. So I'm not quite sure what the deal is with that, to be honest with you. But we were we were guilty of falling victim to that in the first half. And unfortunately for for the Cats, they put up the points that they put up. And it was just too big of a, a hole for us to, to be able to surmount, unfortunately. Um, I, I do want to talk about the offense. I mean, a- Adrian led the day. He had more passing yards than than Quinn Ewers by quite a bit, to be honest with you. He led the day with 329 yards with 24 completions on 36 attempts. He outgunned Quinn Ewers by 132 yards. And and to be honest, I, I think if it wasn't for that fumble at the end, Martinez would probably we'd probably be lauding him as a hero uh, for for how he would have you know helped manage the game and and bring us to to a victory. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. We we did see some of that Nebraska, the red and the white uh, come through in, in how he unfortunately fumbled the ball a couple times. And, and granted, we did recover one of them, but the second one, that was, that was the nail in the coffin. And, and you know, if you, if you take into account the clock management that was happening at that point in time as well, I mean, you, you left no time on the clock. So Texas was just able to kneel it out. It was, it was just, I, I don't really know 
why that happened. I know climate addressed it in the press conference, but you can't, I, I, I can't put all the blame on Adrian. You, you can't put all the blame on the coaching staff. It's just like everything fell apart all at once in that moment. And that's what's so frustrating about the loss for me. I would love to throw it over to the both of you to get your thoughts on, on Adrian's performance in general, but also I want to hear a little bit more about the clock management. I'll go, you know, Adrian's performance was, I mean, to be honest, this is what I kind of expected Adrian to be when we brought him in. I didn't think he'd be perfect. I thought he'd be that gunslinger that he was at Nebraska and he he kind of showed that. I mean, he threw a lot of good. I mean, the one interception, let's let's get it out there. It was an ugly, ugly pass. I mean, he just kind of threw that. He just looked at that linebacker and didn't think he would drop back as far as he did. And it's it's just he just threw it right to him. So it wasn't a bad pass. It was just he threw it to the spot where he wanted to, but there was just a linebacker standing in a way. So this is kind of what I wanted from Adrian. He, he could throw, he could throw the, the ball really, really well. And he's mobile enough in the pocket, but we didn't do him any favors with what we were doing late in the game, that clock management right before that last scoring drive. Like I said, we were just too methodical. We were just too slow. We didn't have two plays at a time. We were running one play, looking over it almost runs all the way down and we just don't do anything and you know it used to be k-state when we got into the 10 yard line that goal to go situation we were very very good at punching it in especially when colin klein was here we had those same basically four plays that we would run in the in the goal to go situation and it would get in we'd get at least down to port to the point where we could do a quarterback sneak to get into the end zone. We just, we, we're very weird. We change completely. And I don't know if it's because we don't have that big body receiver to throw it up to, or Deuce is not the biggest guy that can push that pile and run it straight up the gut. But when we get into those red zone situations, those goal to go situations, we just change completely. And it hurt us with the clock because we'd run the ball or complete a pass and, you know, the clock is just draining. It's at the five-minute mark, and it's just going lower and lower, and we're not in a hurry to get into the end zone or kick a field goal. Make up our mind. We're going to score. We have to score. Let's try to get do it as quick as possible because we need the field goal and the touchdown either way. So it just sucked that we we just burned so much clock and didn't give our offense the second time we got the stop a chance to really be comfortable with the drive because the two minute drive is not our offense. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said. I think there's a couple other maybe coaching grievances that I have. Um, obviously in the first half, things are not going well and we're having to chase points. Um, I felt the fourth and three that we had in that first half, was almost a little bit of an underrated kind of problem that we had. Um, I originally at the time wanted to go for it and kick, kick the field goal. Um, although knowing that Texas was going to score the number of points that they did in the first half, I felt that any points 
would help at least provide just a tidge bit of momentum. Um, but then going for it on that fourth down and I, it's a fourth and three. Um, I felt we were doing pretty well with the short passes gaining, you know, three to five yards with some of those. And I just felt that the play call, um, was not great there. Um, so it was either one or two ways, I guess I would have loved to see a field goal there to try and add an additional three points, um, or try and, and lengthen the drive a little bit with a quicker, you know, three to five yard pass. Um, and then obviously in the second half, it was disappointing. Um, you know, I, I felt leaving that game with two timeouts in our pocket was a huge mistake. Um, I would have obviously loved to see a, a timeout after we got that first down um, to, to try and calm everybody down a little bit. But, uh, you know, at, as much as we can expect the players to be perfect, you know, I we saw, I think, a, a perfectly coached game last week, uh, or at least the Oklahoma State game. And then, you know, you have to come down to the mean at some point. You know, we're not going to have that type of game every single weekend. So, you know, it, it's obviously disappointing. You know, do we think that a couple of play calls would have changed the game? Who knows? Um, at the end, I think we did get beat by a better team. So, you know, that's that's kind of where I am. Yeah, I think, honestly, in a lot of ways, if you take away the fumbles and the interception, Martinez really did, for the most part, shine in that game with what he had play calling wise at his disposal. But another point I do want to make is, you know, I was sitting in section four, Matt, I know that you were sitting somewhere in the stadium in the, in that first, first tier, but I mean, there are people in our, in our section who are screaming to try to get Will Howard out there. Y'all Will Howard does not play defense. Will Howard is not the reason why our defense was completely anemic and gave up 31 points to Texas in the first half creating an insurmountable hole for the offense to try to pull themselves out of. And Martinez had 329 yards on the day. So at the end of the day, yeah, the fumble killed us. The interception killed us, but the loss doesn't rest completely on Adrian's shoulders. And I think it's frustrating that enough fans were out there kind of clamoring for Will Howard. Like, yeah, Will has done a great job, but neither Will nor Adrian are on defense. And defense is frankly where, where a lot of things fell apart in the first half. And to add, um, and maybe going on just a, a few or a 60 second soapbox for, for a second, but I was in section one and purely the disrespect that K-State fans are throwing out there. And I'm, I know it's a select few, but when you're yelling at our student athletes, you know, F this guy, get him out of the game replace him that is just incredibly disrespectful to these guys that come and represent k-state on a game-to-game basis and on a day-to-day basis in the media on campus as fans we have to realize that you know these student athletes are representing our school this coaching staffs are representing our school and they're doing the best that they can and just the disrespect that was being thrown at adrian martinez at the game, on Twitter, this this is the type of stuff that we have to look at and be better as K-State fans. Um, I'm speaking, you know, for a set, you know, few people, but whatnot, but it's just an overall thought. You know, as K-State fans, we also need to represent this university as best as possible. And Adrian Martinez, I felt, had 
a game that really represented us well, the fact that he played so well, and he has played well in many games this year. And we have to respect him for that. And we have to cheer him on for that. We have three more games, potentially four in the Big 12 play, and then a bowl game to go. This guy's doing a great job. I mean, we have to we have to applaud that. Um, I just feel like there are K-State fans that need to really look in the mirror and, and be better and, and represent this university. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree. You know, calling out players, it's been this way. I mean, fans are fickle, and, you know, it's short for fanatic for a reason, but it's a, a line where you you could criticize a player, and a lot of it is the same way that – ironic that people are clamoring for will howard and will howard was literally the guy that people wanted to burn at the yeah, stake he was he COVID was the season. victim of that vitriol last year and the year before that yeah and it, it just it's so weird that it, people can just turn on a dime you know the backup player is always the best player on the team no matter what position you know i mean we we heard it with the offensive line talk at the beginning versus the iowa state game you know like get uh, so-and-so in there, get so-and-so in there. Like, they're backups for a reason. I know they're good players, but, you know, Adrian's putting up a performance that we haven't seen since, what, Jake Waters? Like, numbers like that, where he's throwing it all over the lot. You know, it's not that he couldn't have played better because he could have played a little bit better. The turnovers did happen, but that is no reason to bash a kid. Like, he's playing football. It's a game with a bunch of teenagers, like relax, take a deep breath. If you have some issues with how the game is playing and it's upsetting. Yeah. But that's no reason to get on a kid. It's it's just so weird, but you know, I mean, I'm a, I am a, a brash fan myself too. I get upset and I throw things, but it's never to the point where you're, wanting a guy's career to end like get him out of here never play him again like that's just silly could not agree more on either of those points I think I think the last thing I mean we've we've talked a little bit about the defense I really do think that Julius Brent's targeting call was the right call but I do feel like that had an incredibly tremendous impact on the defense and how they were how they were playing in that first half but Anything else that either of you want to add on the defensive woes in the first half? Otherwise, yeah, we can go ahead and move on to uh, the last couple of points here on the. You know, regarding Julius Brent's targeting, you know, he's the type of player that plays. Uh, he's a a really good player, and he's a hard nosed player. And you've seen that in games this year. He's a talented player. He likes to talk, but he hits hard. He does a great job on defense. I mean, he really does. Um, I I feel like that was a huge, huge thing for us. Um, obviously, you know, replacing him with Jacob Parrish and, and getting some other guys out there, um, you take some of that talent level out and some of that experience. I felt in the second half they obviously played really well, you know, covering for Julius Brents, but that ended up being a pretty important early on play that I do think affected the defense, maybe the morale a little bit of the team and the stadium. Um, so it uh, would the game have been different? Who knows? Um, I agree that it was the right call. Um, I want to see him play 
hard nose like that. Um, because I think that's what makes our defense better. Just has, have to do it a little bit more in moderation. Well, I completely agree. I mean, it definitely took the wind out of the crowd for a little bit. I mean, we were all, we were getting after Texas in that first drive. You'd love to see it. I would, I'm kind of shocked that we didn't take the ball because we won the coin toss again. And usually when we take the coin toss, we go on offense and we've been winning games like that. But, you know, Julius Brents, it was kind of, let's be honest, he, like you said, he hits hard. Let's be honest, he's been kind of due for a targeting because, I mean, almost every game, I know there's like semantics with like defensive players and stuff like that, but he headhunts and I love it. I love it that he plays so hard like that, but it's kind of been coming his way. He's been hitting guys like that basically all season and they haven't been calling it, which is weird. But, you know, Julius Prince is an integral part of the defense. We needed him. He wasn't there, but we played – Parrish played great. I mean, he's going to be dynamite for us later down the road. He's a lockdown. He's like – I don't even know who do I want to compare him to, but he's he's awesome for a true freshman. And, you know, it's the defense – Josh Hayes had another great game. They were holding the fuck out of uh, Felix again. But, you know, we didn't play well in that first half, and it was all about scheme, not about talent, even though they are very talented, but they just they brought it to us, and we had to accept that. Totally. And just a couple stats real quick. So it was a, it was a big game for Eli Huggins as he and uh, Kobe Savage led the team with eight total tackles and two tackles for a loss. Uh, between the two of them, they both had one tackle for a loss each. Uh, and uh, the one that stands out to me is Kobe Savage. He had that massive play where he stopped Bijan on Texas's last drive. Uh, and, and really, I mean, that left us with three minutes and 37 seconds left on the clock. And that's where some of those clock management issues came in. But, I, you know, there's not a whole lot to talk about on special teams. I know some folks have talked about some concerns around punt and kick returns. Feel free to chime in if you want on those, those y'all. But the, the last thing that I have on this is, one of the two final teams that Climate has yet to beat in conference play are Baylor and Texas. We we obviously did not did not get that done against Texas last week, but now we have Baylor, so we could make it three out of four teams that that Climate still hadn't beaten yet coming into uh, halfway through last season. Our the other thing is our team has bounced back after these really big losses that we faced against TCU, Tulane, and and now Texas. Do we see the trend of this team bouncing back after those losses this week? Gut feeling, fire. Yes. I mean, I don't want to give my uh, my Andre's lock of the week on this one, but you know, I, I think I think we're we will bounce back. We we usually do gather ourselves. There's only so many times you could say that in a season where it doesn't sound redundant and like, oh, like, oh, we're going to bounce back. You, you've lost so many times. There's only three losses, but we have bounced back, and hopefully the focus is there for a big road test. A, another blackout game, guys? Do we want to talk about it? I'm sure the Baylor guys will talk about it, but, you know, we'll, we've, got a, we've got a big game, and I, I, I think we'll be able to get back on the right track, hopefully. Um, I just go into the special teams thing really quick. And I just want to, um, make a point here. 
you know, this season has been disappointing from a punt and kick return perspective. Um, you know, we typically will see good returns or at least returns that get you past the 25 yard line. And Texas schemed really, really well against us this past week. And that's a, that has been an integral part of the strategy and how we've won games in many years, many, many years. And so they're really, I I don't know what's going on there, but that is a, a piece of the puzzle that we have to fix um, for the last few games of the season, being able to get better field position at the start. Um, and then do I see the trend continue? Yes. And we will get to predictions later, but we're going to get to our Baylor preview. And we have Mark from our daily bears joining us, Mark. Thank you a ton for joining. I know it was kind of in a pinch and, and we had a bit of a scramble to, to get you on tonight, but Tell us a little bit more about yourself, about our Daily Bears, and, and tell us a little bit more about your connection to Baylor University and Baylor Athletics. Hey, guys. I, I appreciate you having me, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk to you guys. Uh, I think you guys have a great show, and, and I appreciate you reaching out. Um, so today is actually the 11th anniversary of our Daily Bears. I just posted something about that uh, on Twitter just a few uh, min- minutes ago. Congrats. November 9th. Happy anniversary. 2011. Yeah, thanks. It, it sneaks up on me every single year. And this year I happened to remember that it was coming up and then I just happened to check on it and thinking, oh my God, yeah, it's today. But no, our Daily Bears started in, in 2011 and our first game ever was actually the RG3 over Oklahoma. That was the first game covered as a site. Uh, and we've been going pretty strong ever since. I mean, it's been, it's been a while. Obviously in 2011, we were in a much different place than we are today. Uh, we've seen four head coaches, being Jim Grove. Obviously, the first one was Arles. Then he went through Matt Rule, and now we get to Dave Aranda. So we've gotten to see a lot of different things happen in football. Uh, really, only one thing happened in basketball because Scott Drew's been there for almost 20 years. And um, and then, obviously, we've had some pretty good success in, in women's basketball, too. So it's been a fun ride. Uh, I'm very pleased to have been here the whole time. I started our daily bears in 2011 with two other guys and uh, we're still going strong. So we're, we're very pleased. I love it. And, and you kind of alluded to it. So this next one, you know, this has been a pretty, if you look at the all time record, which I'm not typically an all time record stand, but this has been a pretty evenly matched uh, series overall through the years, but Baylor's really dominated since, since our daily bears has been a thing over this past decade. And that game in November of 2012 is still seared in my memory as probably one of the lowest points in my K-State fandom. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I I think about the flip side of Heisman stock. Yeah. Yeah. I I I have, I have tweets. I know you're good. I have tweets about that from, from 11 years ago, 10 years ago. Uh, And I was, let's just say I was very, very drunk that night off of screwdrivers uh, trying to drown my sorrows of the loss. But on the flip side, we also had that same season uh, that that you started our Daily Bears. We had Arthur Brown picking off RG3 in Manhattan in the win in 2011. So that shines for me as one of the high points. But knowing that there's not a ton of history with the matchup, knowing that you were in the Big 12 South and we were in the Big 12 North, there weren't a ton of matchups prior to really 2011 or so. Uh, but given some of that recent history, what does this matchup in this series mean for you as a Baylor fan? And what are some of your high points and, and memories of the series overall? 
Well, I, I, I guess I'd start by saying it's really hard for me to consider it, you know, one of the more hateful rivalries uh, to the extent that you even call it a rivalry. And I don't mean that to be negative or pejorative at all. I just mean, I feel like there's a, a, a lot of respect, at least from the Baylor side. I have no reason to dislike Kansas state. And I actually have a lot of reason to respect what you guys did because I don't think I'm breaking any news. You know, it, for a long time, you guys were one of the absolute worst programs in history, I guess. And then Bill Snyder came along and built you guys into a legitimate powerhouse. I still remember the game in 1998 that you guys beat Texas A&M. And uh, that was the incredible run that you had over different, very different times and very different. Um, I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for Kansas State and in football. I know we have a lot of respect for you guys in basketball. And that only grew in my mind whenever Coach Chang went up there. But uh, I think it's a it's a good rivalry. I'm, I'm glad to see that everything's gone so well with Coach Kleiman. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him and what he did at North Dakota State, and obviously what he's continuing to do at Kansas State. So I think it's it's great that you've bounced back this season. Uh, I actually thought you guys were going to be pretty good going into the season because there's a few people that I whose opinions I really respect that thought you guys were going to be really good. And I'm glad to see that that's borne out. I wish you'd gotten the win this past week, which you guys already talked about. But, you know. Yeah, it was it was a tough one. And and really, I, I don't mean to to think of this as a rivalry so much as, you know, the the hateful eight, if you will. Those of us that are still remaining, I, I really do care about these matchups in these series that we have with these teams. And so I always like to ask our guests to see, you know, what are some of the highlights or lowlights if you want to talk about those from the series through the years, knowing that there in, in some cases haven't been as many matchups. Um, but yeah, I mean, for us, really that 2012 game, if it wasn't for that, uh, I really don't think that there would be as much of uh, the vitriol that we see from, from K-State fans toward Baylor sometimes. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, we, you mentioned Coach Tang. We'll probably get to some hoops talk later on, but uh, we're really excited for him and, and for him to con- continue some of the tradition that uh, he, he started at Baylor with Scott Drew. But uh, Chef, do you want to go ahead and take us on to uh, to the next question? Absolutely. Thanks, Mark, for uh, doing this today. I know it's late, you know, whatever. But I appreciate you being here. You know, this is K-State versus Baylor, 6-3, and three, kind of battling for second place. You know, we're, we're all fighting in a race to keep up with TCU. Baylor just announced it's going to be a blackout game. You fi- Baylor finally gets a night game. I know uh, a lot of Baylor fans have been clamoring for that. But I've, I've also been listening to a lot of uh, Baylor podcasts and a lot of Baylor media saying that the game's not going to be sold out. Is there no hype behind this game from the fans? What is, what is the What's the reasoning behind that? And can you explain why – the excitement is not there for a, a second place Baylor team. If there is, if there is no, if there is no hype, you know, if there, if the hype is still there, let me know. No, I think that you're, you're, you're definitely not wrong. And the whole thing about the blackout kind of, my understanding of that is that it started with the students and it started as something that the students really wanted to do because I don't know how much you're aware of the, the very first Baylor blackout game. You know, we didn't do that for a long time. We didn't do the, the different uniforms or the alternate color schemes or any of that stuff until 2013, which was the Baylor versus Oklahoma game. That was the blackout game. And that was at Floyd Casey stadium, which is our old stadium, obviously. 
and it was extremely successful. Probably the, the most successful, I don't know if you want to call it a gimmick game or whatever, themed game, whatever, in Baylor history. And to this day, it was still probably the most successful themed game that we've ever had. We've tried to recreate it several times and never really come close. But people have been wondering or wanting a blackout game again since then to try to recreate some of that atmosphere. And uh, I think that's where this really started is that the students wanted to do that. They got kind of a little movement going amongst them. And then I think the, the ticket pull and some of the, the hype wasn't necessarily there amongst the fan base. And so Baylor kind of just embraced it. You know, this is, we're in Wednesday of the game week. It's not exactly the best time to be announcing something like this. And it was kind of a cryptic announcement if we're going to be all honest with each other. But uh, it looks like that's what they want to do. They're kind of bowing to the students to try and create some of that atmosphere that may be a little lacking. And as for why it's lacking, uh, I think it's just mostly that the season didn't really start out the way that we thought it would. With the loss to BYU, uh, obviously losing to Oklahoma State's not a terrible thing. Oklahoma State's good. Um, losing to West Virginia is probably going to be one of those things that we look back at with scratching our heads a little bit, just because I don't think that West Virginia team is good at all. But, you know, here we are at six and three, rebounded a little bit. I would hope that there'd be a little more excitement than we've seen, frankly. Well, um, first off, Mark, thanks for being on and, and kind of talking a little bit about the season for Baylor thus far. Um, a few I would say gut-wrenching losses. The BYU game, which was a, a great game, if you're a college football fan. I was there. Watch. It was it was unbelievable. Awesome. And I'm excited when K-State goes to Provo at some point. I hear it's an incredible atmosphere. It's not but, uh, anything like anything you've ever experienced. I'll put it that way. Okay. And well, I mean, now in it's... In every possible way that you could be thinking that I mean <laughs> well, now I'm putting it down on the list. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, with Baylor, you know, tied for second place, a couple losses to Oklahoma State and West Virginia in Big 12 play. How would you grade Baylor's performance so far this season? And what's your confidence level for the next few games, you know, to see Baylor's chances of getting back to Arlington for the second straight year? So I would give Baylor largely an incomplete because – at some points, you've seen the defense be somewhat reminiscent of the defense that basically carried us to a Big 12 championship last season, 12-2 and two Big 12 championship. It happened because of the defense. But it happened because of all of those seniors and leaders that we had on defense, like Jalen Petrie, Terrell Bernard, um, uh, Woods. Um, I mean, basically, you can keep going down the list, but it happened because they had, we had all that senior leadership, and then we lost a lot of those guys, almost all of those guys. And so the defense struggled early on while the offense, they made the move to shape in to try and get a little bit more explosive in the passing game. Um, obviously, we lost Abram Smith, who was the workhorse back last year. And it's, it's never really fired on all cylinders. The defense will play well, then the offense will play well, and then the defense will play well, and so on and so forth. And, but it's not had a complete game. Texas Tech was as close as we've gotten to that because the defense showed up, turned the ball over five times in interceptions. We saw a little bit of that against OU as well. Um, but it's still not been completely consistent. And I think in this next stretch of games, you know, we play against you guys, TCU and Texas, our last three games of the season. Those are probably the three best teams that we're going to play this season. And if we're more consistent, then we've got a chance in those games. If we default back to a little bit less
less experience, a little bit less consistency, it's going to be a difficult stretch. You could go anywhere from nine and three to six and six and probably not be wrong. And that's part of the craziness of being in the Big 12, especially with those. I mean, that's talk about a backloaded schedule. That's just kind of a crazy three, three teams, the way that this conference is sh- uh, kind of shook out this season to have to finish up with. But the guy that the guy that's essentially been leading Baylor so far this season has been Blake Shapin. It's a guy that we're familiar with as K-State fans since he started against the Cats last year in our matchup in uh, I think it was th- around Thanksgiving last year, if I'm not mistaken. What have been your thoughts on Blake Shapin so far this season and and Kind of to take it back to the offseason, do you feel like the Bears made the right decision between him and Bohannon? I think they did as between him and Bohannon because I think the offense had more or less maxed out what it could be under Bohannon last season when you had a dominant rushing game led by Abramson. I think that they went into this season saying we're probably going to take a step back in the running game, at least while our young backs are inexperienced. So we need to be more aggressive and more um, explosive in the passing game so that people just don't load the box on us and just beat the hell out of us every week, essentially. Uh, so we need to be more explosive. And that was something that they, they talked about in the spring. This is why we're doing this. And if that's the reason, then it's clearly been the right choice, I think. Uh, that being said, Shapin has his faults. You know, there's been at least two times where he's had key fumbles in key spots that have kind of screwed us. I think there was one against Oklahoma State that was returned either for a touchdown or almost a touchdown, and then one against uh, West Virginia that was returned for a touchdown or almost a touchdown. Both of those ended up being huge plays in games that we lost by 11 and 3, West Virginia in particular. So he's great when he's in the pocket. He's got the skills that they need and that they're obviously looking for to get the, the offense going. But every now and then, the fact that he's only has, what, now 11 starts, rears his ugly head. Yeah, and, you know, Shapin, a young kid, you know, he's he's coming in for his first year starting. But he's got a stable of backs, at least for the last three games where you guys have been on that little roll. He's got a little bit of a stable of back. You know, it's a, a combination of – Quaylen Jones, Squirrel Williams, Richard Reese. These running backs have kind of been carrying the team and the offense while Shapin gets his legs back, especially because he, I mean, he was looking on fire versus West Virginia before he got his bell rung pretty good. But they they came in and carried the load for you guys. And I think this is kind of how the offense is supposed to look with, with those running backs doing what they're doing. But who are some other guys on the offense that you can tell us about that K-State really needs to look forward uh, to facing off against at night uh, this coming Saturday? So the, the one person I would point out, first of all, is one name that probably many people, even on the Baylor side, didn't know coming into the season because he's a true freshman. And you mentioned him, and it's Richard Reese. You know, in the, in the two games before the Oklahoma game, he had a combined 67 rushing attempts. 67. And the guy's only like 5, 10, maybe 180 pounds. So it's not like he's, he's looks like your prototypical or stereotypical workhorse back. But in those two games, to your point, he absolutely was. He carried the offense in those two games and he's carried the offense for most of the season as a true freshman. If you get beyond him, then 
Hal Presley, who's a, I think he's a redshirt freshman, maybe a sophomore this year, has really stepped up. Uh, he's number 16, if you see him on Saturday. He's really stepped up and, and made some big catches. He made some, some great plays against Oklahoma. Uh, Josh Cameron, number 34, had kind of a breakout game against Oklahoma, considering he went into that game with, I think, six or seven receptions for the entire year. He had two big third or fourth down conversions in that game just by that and should have had another one that got called back for a holding penalty. Um, I would also just mention Gavin Holmes. He had a game against West Virginia, I believe, that where he had over 200 yards uh, receiving. That was his career high in that game. He's number six. He didn't really have that big of a game against either of the last two, but he's got the talent to explode at any point. Um, and then – Trying to think of who else I could mention that you didn't already say. Who who's the who's the tight end? I think he's been there for a million years, but he seems yeah he's he was I think he was preseason first team All Big Twelve if I'm not yeah, is, is he record holder and touchdowns for a tight end so he's is he living up to that this season? Uh, he had some injury troubles earlier in the season. You know, we've had a lot of that where he missed some time. Um, I don't know if I would say he's necessarily lived up to it because I don't know if the results are there. He's a great blocker. He's obviously a fantastic teammate. Um, he's going to be asked to do more since we lost Drake Dabney. Uh, I think it was against – it wasn't against Oklahoma. It was a game for that. Um, so I know Shapin has a lot of trust in him. They've got a good relationship. So I wouldn't be surprised if he caught – five or six passes, but is he going to go off, you know, ISU style where they just ready tight end on it all day? I doubt it. Um, so Dave Aranda, I mean, a lot of people were, um, you know, maybe a little skeptical of the hire in the beginning. Um, but let me tell you, I mean, as a defensive coach and just as an overall head coach, he really has come in and done a great job in molding this Baylor program. And, um, you know, being strong on the defensive end. Um, you know, you lost Jalen Petre um, from last year, but you have a couple guys, Siaki Yika, Gabe Hall, that seem to be some bigger contributors on defense this year. You know, for for a lot of us who maybe haven't watched too many Baylor games, you know, who are some guys that you think we should keep our eyes out on uh, the defensive end? So, it was funny when you guys were talking in your, your review of the UT game, you were talking about one of your players, I mean, you have to forgive me about his name, but that you described as a little bit of a headhunter. And I think you got called for a targeting penalty. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Game. Julius Brents. Okay. It reminded me of, of kind of how we feel about a guy named Christian Morgan, who's number four, he plays safety. He, he's so boomer bust. He's got all the tools and he's a, he's a big hitter. He's a headhunter. And he almost had two interceptions against OU, finished with one, should have had two. But he, it, whenever you were talking about him, I was thinking, oh, that's their Christian Morgan. That's their like, version of this guy. Um, but I would, I would keep my eyes out for him. He's number four. Um, Gabe Hall, like you mentioned, is an underrated defensive player. Uh, Garmin Randolph, who plays Baylor's like, stand-up defensive end, rusher. Um, I think he's number 94, but I, I have to look it up to be certain. Um, Siaki is a huge force in the middle. He gets double teamed on almost every single play. Um, Jackson player hasn't, I don't think lived up to everything they thought that he was going to get coming over from Tulsa in the off season. Uh, but Matt Jones, number two linebacker, he's a great player, especially in pass rush, and, but also in coverage, he's gotten a lot better. Um, 
But basically, it's, it's a young defense. There's, they had to replace a lot, especially in the back end. Uh, they've come a long way, uh, especially in the last couple of games. They have eight interceptions in the last two games, which is a lot. Uh, we went from sort of middle of the pack or even back of the pack in turnovers. So I think we lead the league in turnovers now, certainly lead in interceptions. But um, that's, that's kind of what I would keep an eye on. If that secondary continues to evolve, uh, then I think that, that we can make life, life difficult in the passing game. What scares me about you guys is we are absolutely abysmal against running quarterbacks. So that just scares the absolute crap out of me. But I'm sure you know. Well, I mean, you're kind of leading into the question I'm about to ask. And, you know, we're two, diff- we're two teams that are – we kind of have the same philosophy. We have strong-minded head coaches that are based on defense. You guys are – you guys are – I don't know your, necessarily your front, fronts, but I know you got a big D tackle that controls the the line of scrimmage, Siaki Ika. Mm-hmm. And on offense, you, you run, like to run the ball. So tell me what are some keys that Baylor needs to do to get a win versus K-State and – uh, vice versa, what do you think um, K-State can exploit for Baylor to kind of get it going a Wildcats way? So there's some weird stat, and I, I couldn't give you a real good causal analysis for it, but it's something like under Dave Miranda in the last two seasons, Baylor's 10 or 11-0 and 0 when we score on our first drive of the game. And we score a touchdown on the first drive of our game. Uh, I couldn't explain that to you other than that we're not a team that's really built – to play from behind, at least not to play from some significant margin from behind. So Baylor absolutely has to keep other teams within arm's distance. Um, we can play from behind. You know, we've got some explosive playability. We've got defense that can ratchet up and, and cause turnovers. But I think that our our perfect game is to either be right there or absolutely play from ahead, which seems obvious because, of course, everybody wants to be that way. Uh, so if Kansas State can kind of weather the storm early and then get out to a little bit of a lead, that's going to make it really difficult for us. If on the other side, we can actually get out in front and maybe slow down some of the Kansas State momentum, let our home crowd get into the game, then we're going to be in a much better position. But, you know, I, I would go back to, I'd just be terrified about Adrian Martinez running all over us because there have been multiple quarterbacks this season that we've allowed to have pretty good games rushing uh, going back to Spencer Sanders and and Oklahoma State, so that that's my fear is that we're not going to have a good way to cover that, especially since Dylan Doyle, uh, middle linebacker, is not as great laterally as you might expect or you might hope. And uh, Adrian Martinez is going to eat him alive if they get the open field here. That that all makes sense. And and if you could do us a favor and give us a, a final score prediction, if we you know gun to your head. What do you think the final score prediction is going to be? Who's going to take the dub? And uh, we, you know, just for the people who are in the live room here, I went ahead and threw some speaker requests out there. So if you have any questions or discussion or takes that you want to get out there, go for it. But Mark, go ahead and hit us with your final score prediction. So uh, I am, (laughs) I think that I've been wrong every time this season when I've predicted Baylor to win that, let me, let me say this differently. Every time that we've lost, I predicted that Baylor would have won the game, and obviously that happened three times. But then each of the last three games, I predicted us to lose, and we won. So I'm going to keep that going and, uh, and say that I think Kansas State's going to win. I think Kansas State's a really good team. And I'm not just paying lip service to the idea of superstition. I really do think Kansas State's a really good team, and I think that there's some things that you guys do that 
are going to give us trouble. So, I mean, you, you can never be wrong if you think that a Baylor team or game is going to end up somewhere in the high 20s, low 30s for the opponent or, or for Baylor itself. So uh, I think I'm going to take Kansas State. Let's go 34 to 28. Man, we're getting hit with the reverse jinx again. This is two weeks in a row that we've gotten the reverse jinx from the guest coming on and predicting the Cats to win. So, oh, man, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens with the rest of these predictions here. But, Mark, before we open it up for uh, for the rest of the folks in the room, go ahead and let us know where we can find your great work uh, with Our Daily Bears. Yeah, we're at www.ourdailybears.com. It's just like it sounds. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. I'm at, uh, at Our Daily Bears. You might see it as ODB. Um, it's been great. I'm, I'm looking. I just saw that there's a question. Name of our clutch receiver that was there like 2016. If it's not Denzel Mims, I don't actually know who it was. I'd have to think really hard about it. I, I just saw that in the comments. I'm sorry to, to take, us, take us aside from that. Um Oh, you know what? It was Jalen Hurd. I bet that's right. It was Jalen Hurd. We got him in a in a transfer from Tennessee. So, I think that's I think that's a perfect segue. I mean, uh, we can go ahead and open it up now. Chef, do you have something to say real quick? No, I was uh, I was gonna say that Jalen Hurd. I remember him. Uh, I know we're not trying to get into guys talking ball, but you know, uh, remembering old players, Jalen Hurd for Tennessee. I mean, I think he might have been like a former quarterback as well um he was a running back he had running back that's what the sec and rushing i think once. yeah that i mean he was a very thick wide receiver i remember you guys having and i mean he did he did like will uh will said it he did cause a lot of nightmares yeah he really helped out on those first rule teams i think it may have been just the first rule team or maybe the first and second um no he was a big play guy uh he transferred over here and then converted to wide receiver because he didn't want to do the wear and tear at running back. And then we ended up because we needed to actually play him at running back a little bit. So. I mean, I'll, I'll get to ask him the questions if nobody wants in here. Do you, where do you see Dave? Where do you see Dave Aranda's uh, ceiling? I mean, obviously he has a big 12 championship under his belt, but do you see, especially with the new look Big 12 coming around, where do you see Dave Aranda's ceiling? And is that the ceiling for Baylor? Is is, is it as far as Dave Aranda goes, is, is as far as Baylor can go? So it's going to be really interesting because, you know, they the first season that, that Aranda was at Baylor was the COVID season in 2020. That was a disaster. Uh, I can't remember if we were two in – I think we were two and seven. I think we played nine games that year. It might have been two one of them. One of them you got us, and it was very sad because we had the lead into that fourth quarter by double well, digits. That, that season, just in the whole, was a complete offensive disaster. And, but and it was his first year, so ordinarily you might see somebody just say, "Oh, it was the first year. It was COVID. It was all these different things. We're going to go with what we've got and and just go into next year and hope that things end up better." Instead, they cleaned house offensively, more or less. Um, they got rid of basically the entire offensive staff, said this is not working, and brought in Jeff Grimes from BYU and completely turned over the scheme, the staff, the whole nine yards. And you know, some people might say, oh, that looks like desperation, that you would change things so quickly. Other people might say, and I was one of them, no, this looks like somebody who said is decisive enough to say, okay, that did not work. We have to go a completely different direction. This is dysfunctional. It doesn't work. We need to do something completely different and turn over that side of the ball to a guy like Jeff Grimes, 
who we've heard his name come up in several different head coaching searches recently, as recently as the Auburn search, which I don't think he's going to get that job, but I think he's qualified for it. Um, I think that kind of thing speaks well of a first-time head coach to recognize limitations or where you've made a poor decision or two and then act decisively to fix those decisions. Uh, as far as what Dave Miranda's ceiling is, I think as long as he's got Ron Roberts with him and as long as they've got that emphasis on defense, they're going to be solid on that side of the ball. Uh, this year's a little different because we had so much inexperience in this linebackers and secondary, but um, it's going to go as far as the offense goes. And so as long as we've got Jeff Grimes and his offense and his kind of working and, and the style that works so well with the defense, with the ground and pound, uh, RVO, reliable, violent offense, I think they can go pretty far. And we saw that last year with 12 and two and a Sugar Bowl win. Am I good? Can you all hear me? Yeah, you're good, Nick. Fire away. Awesome. Hey, so first off, Mark, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm going ri- to ask you this right off the bat. Do you drink coffee? And what's your go-to coffee drink? <laughs> is, is that because I talk fast sometimes? No. Oh, I do drink coffee. I I didn't forever. I never drank coffee until recently. Uh, I didn't mention that I'm I'm an attorney. I'm a licensed attorney in Texas, so that's what I do for my day job, and uh, I do it a lot. I work a lot in in what I do, and you got to have coffee in in my line of work. Some people probably know that, but um, I'm not into like super special coffee or anything like that. I've just got this this neighborhood coffee shop that I go to. But, uh, you know, I just drink whatever okay. my wife makes. So. Do you ever go to uh, Common Grounds in Waco? I didn't whenever I was in Waco. So I don't know if you, if you caught this, but my first year at Baylor was actually Scott Drew's first year, too. So I was a freshman in 2003 when Scott Drew got there. Um, so I didn't I, – since I didn't drink coffee at the time, I never really went to Common Grounds except to try and, like, hang out and meet people. Um, but I know all the stereotypes and all the jokes about common grounds. Hash, hashtag no free ads, but I I used to live in Austin for three years, and every time I'd drive back home to Kansas, I would stop in Waco at Common Grounds. Really the only reason I would ever feel like I needed to stop in Waco at that point in time, but Common Grounds is a, is a definitely an elite coffee shop. See, that's no. you're missing not having Evan on tonight because he could probably give you much more about Common Grounds than I could. <laughs> Well, of course, it's talking about Evan A. Bear. So, yeah, reason why I was just asking is because uh, I uh, started my own coffee business, roasting business. So I was just curious. Um, I, I'm a coffee enthusiast and connoisseur, I guess you'd say. But no, uh, the uh, for, my first, things. yeah, go check out once again hashtag no free uh, free ads, but go check out a standard issue coffee company. Okay. Um, it's uh, like I said, I'm a veteran currently serving so uh, veteran known it's get my beans unroasted and then i roast it myself and um i'm sure these guys can tell you it's uh, pretty dang good coffee but um, did you mean to have the acronym for your coffee company be sick s-i-c-c i mean to each their own if you want to think that way go for it but okay no, no i'm down <laughs> no i did not um no. So the real, my real questions, um, not that it wasn't real, but a real question was, what was your first thought when Jerome Tang got hired at K-State? Because I'm kind of curious on what Baylor Bears think. Um, 
of the other side of the of the coin? Uh, my first thought was similar to the first thought when Joey McGuire got hired at Tech. Man, this really sucks for us. Uh, which I think is the ultimate sign of respect for when your when your opponent hires someone. If you think about how much it sucks for you, that means it's probably a pretty good hire. Um, somebody in the comments mentioned you know, Tang got there when Drew got there in 2003, which means he was at Baylor for 18 years. And then before he left to join you guys, and it was the first head coaching job that he's ever taken. I know for a fact that along that line, he's had multiple other opportunities and never taken them. So this had to be a special situation, had to be a special job to get him to, to leave his comfort zone and leave the place that he'd been for nearly two decades before. And uh, so I was extremely pleased for him that he got the opportunity. I'm, I'm happy to, to see him and his family be successful. But my first thought was, man, this sucks for us. I got you. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, man, that's all I got. Um, like I said, go check out uh, Coffee. Uh, standard issue coffee company and uh put an order order in and i'll get you some sent to you so sounds good i'll do that i think they get after them baby. yeah ace fire fire it up baby no i'm gonna be honest i heard two voices at once kind of went cross-eyed somehow but my my first question is what is your what is your opinion of of the the pass catchers at you know obviously other than ben sims who has been a pretty reliable, you know, tight end for what seems like years now. But what do you think of the other receivers? Like, I know uh, Hal Presley, Monterey Baldwin, uh, Gavin Holmes. I think most of those guys are pretty young, aren't they? Uh, Not Gavin Holmes. He's been here, gosh, since like the Hoover administration. Um, But he had injury problems for so many years. You know, this is the first year where he stayed completely healthy. And I know he's a fan favorite just because he stuck it out for as long as he did. But – you know, the big issue that we had early in the season and maybe the reason that the offense didn't get uh, on track was that we had such young receivers. They kind of came into the year with Monterey Baldwin penciled in as the big play threat, but he never really filled that role before. They kind of had his breakout game in the Sugar Bowl, and then they had some plays that they were trying to use to get him the ball more early. But it was kind of obvious when Monterey Baldwin was going to get the ball. And then he got hurt against BYU, missed a few games, never really got on track the way that I think they expected him to, which meant that guys like Hal Presley, Seth Jones, who has since announced he was going to transfer, um, Gavin Holmes, a few others have had their opportunities to step up. But I don't know that we have a true number one amongst these guys, at least not yet. Uh, But the good news is that they've improved as they've gotten experience, and I feel a lot better about them today than I did when I came into the season. I felt like our biggest offseason mistake was not taking a, a number one or more proven wide receiver in the transfer portal. And I said that at the time. I felt like that was our biggest offseason mistake. I think, uh, JP, we've got you up next. And JP was uh, also coming in clutch. Uh, one of the guys that I reached out to after uh, Evan had to drop out for a date night, I think, is what he, what he had pre-scheduled. Is that what he was doing? Is uh, that where- it was, it was a date problem. night. It was a date night. Yeah, he DM'd me and he was like, uh, I have some bad news. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, what is it? And he said uh, he he almost forgot that he had a date night with uh, his significant other, I guess. But uh, JP came in clutch and, and so did you, Mark. And, and JP, I think you, you just got out of a work happy hour, if I'm not mistaken, right? I did, yeah. I just started working in Dallas in September. Um, so... 
I'm trying to meet people, but still working from home. So the, the happy hours have been coming in clutch, but I, I had to come and support Mark after that. JP, I didn't know that you were in, in my neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah, I, I just graduated from Baylor in May. Um, so I'm up here now, um, a little north of downtown, but um, yeah, we should meet up sometime. Uh, my my question was, um, I, I guess, kind of a two-part question. It's A, are you excited for the rituals on Saturday? And B, do you know what we're drinking? <laughs> uh, I don't. So I, I'm actually trying to figure out. So full disclosure, uh, when I joined the podcast tonight, I was actually leaving. The, my wife has been in the hospital for about 10 days. Um, so I, I left. She changed facilities today. She had a pretty serious back injury. And uh, she changed facilities today, so I left the hospital. That's why I asked if I could be on mobile to join you guys. Uh, so I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to get down to the game. We've got our seats. We've got, you know, we typically would be there for every game, but I, I haven't fully decided yet if I'm going to make a trek down without her. So that's that's still up in the air. But even if I don't make it, I will attempt to partake in the rituals to the extent that I can. And I'm sure all the KSU fans are wondering what the hell is the rituals. So, JP, why don't you tell them what that is? Well, I'm not a very good example since I just started doing it this year. But as far as I know, uh, during COVID, um, some members of the Baylor Twitter family started uh, doing shots of way too nice whiskey to be doing shots of uh, before every game as a as a ritual for for better better fortune. Um, and that has continued since COVID. Uh, in person for home games and then usually online. Um, I it's Mike. Mike is the one that does it or does the the video, right? Right. Mike thinks aloud on Twitter at Mike thinks aloud. Yeah. So he he posts a video for every every game doing the rituals, and then when we're at home, uh, we have a tailgate where we meet up and someone brings a bottle of whiskey that we we all do shots of and. Um, as a, as a new graduate, I, I, I enjoy that part of game day a lot. <laughs> I'm sure. It's all fun, and uh, it's it's a little counter to what people may think that Baylor fans are doing. But, hey, we're just like everybody else. Well, well Mark, first off, I want to, uh, you know, wish our, our thoughts and prayers for your, for your wife and hope she gets a, a speedy recovery in the hospital there. But uh, as an aside, we do have a, a bit of a tradition ourselves uh, at, at Matt Marchesini's tailgate here. Fireball. fireball Matt. He's called he's called Fireball Matt for a reason. Fireball, Fireball, Fireball Matt. Fireball, Fireball. I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. You should be drinking Fireball this weekend, right? No. Right. That sounds like a that? terrible idea. Okay. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Only Matt. <laughs> so, so I've recently learned – this past week, somebody texted me, and I, I knew this from a while back, but apparently Fireball and Mountain Dew together tastes really good, and everybody should try it. And maybe I will this weekend. Probably not, but... Listen, listen, come to a Baylor game. I will get you some Balcones from the Baylor, or from the Waco Distillery. Uh, hashtag no free ads, Balcones in Waco. Um, and, and you can do something that actually tastes good. Whoa, Balcones whoa. is elite, though. Balcones is elite. My wife has a friend whose dad, I think, is an investor in Balcones, and their rye is just—it's—it's it's so good. 
Everything they do is amazing, and it's not fireball. So. Okay, I will preface that I do, during the week I do not drink fireball, but once we get to game day, it's it is a tradition, and um, I'll probably have a couple shots of it as I do um, before every game. This yeah, weekend. Matt, Matt, if you come to Waco and bring fireball, I will partake with you. But other than that, I I will not be buying fireball myself. It's just not- that will that will not be a pro- I cannot make it to Waco for this game, unfortunately, but for the next one. We will. I will bring some down. No question. That sounds good. You know, you just you just reminded me. Have you guys taken a look at what the weather report looks like? Oh, it's going to be so cold. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> what be... What's cold? What does cold mean? So I'm. It's going to be in the. Us. It's not going to be in the thirties. Oh. It's It's going to be. Yeah, like forty is the low. But I'm also from Minnesota, so I enjoy that. But the people, the Texans are. Yeah, Kansans don't mind that. That I mean, we thought the same thing for the 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 Texas game last week that we'd freeze the Texas boys out, and it it just didn't happen. So, well, that's the trade off, right? Like we want to have night games in November, and we want to have this great environment, and then winter shows up. Our winter, not your winter, obviously. I mean, it's it's 36 degrees in Lakewood, Colorado, where I live right now. So it was a uh, it was definitely a brisk walk with the dogs this evening. Um, I think Coley Dub, you had some totally irrelevant questions that you wanted to get off your chest. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give the microphone to you so you can get those out there. Uh, they, they're 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 Baylor related. Um, I was curious. I'm I'm still pondering if I'm going up. Uh, me and my buddy are pondering if we're going up Saturday. What is the GA seating? I don't even know if they're selling. I don't even know if there's actual seating, but the GA section, I forgot what it's called. They're your Yale Stadium. Um, what's that? What that? Yeah, what's that whole thing like? And then also, um, just a question about uh, Dave Aranda's. Um, so, like, watching on on TV or whatever, he's a very straight laced guy and shows like no emotion. It appears like ever to me anyway and so i'm just curious if like if y'all have any like inside stories or information that shows like another side of him like outside of like game mode dave randas that's just different than like what we see on tv so i think we take the first part so underneath the, the scoreboard in the south end zone is called the burns the green area where they'll allow families and you know, little kids play and stuff like that um, that's general mission. I think for this game, they were saying it's $40. I could be wrong. Yeah, that. it's 40. Um, that's $40. Uh, I bet, you know, just between us, I think you could probably get it cheaper than that, especially as we get closer to the game. They tend to try and fill it up just with, with families and with Waco locals. And, and, uh, like you said, it's general mission. So you sit wherever you want to, and you can bring blankets and, and uh, so on and so forth and just sit there on the burn. Uh, as far as Dave Miranda goes, um, I have it on pretty good authority that this is kind of the way he is all the time, as far as you know, super chill, very reserved, um, not super excitable. But we have seen a few times, uh, and I actually have one as my pinned tweet where he slapped one of the other guys on the butt during the game. I can't remember which game it was, but he slapped another guy on the butt, and I saved it as my pinned tweet because it was so out of character for him. Uh, but he, he'll show emotion every now and then, but I think it's really part of his entire, I don't want to call it zen, because I don't think it's zen, but it's zen-like 
persona and the way that he approaches things is to be calm and collected and logical and rational and try to pervade that, that sense through the other team because it's confidence in a way, uh, or for the rest of the team, it's like a confidence. I've heard some that, that he does have kind of a, a private side and it's a little bit more animated, but I'm, I'm guessing he's not one of those people that's like that way on the field and then like raging you know, Dana Holgerson off the I don't think that's the right, and I, I didn't I didn't mean that to come off in any way. It's like a bad thing. Like I think it's it no, means, I think it's part I think of it's yeah, strengths. right, right. I mean, it's you're calm, cool, and collected under the highs and lows. You know, I, I was just I was just curious. Just they, uh, I I actually just started working with one of my coworkers played at Baylor for the last four years, so I I talked to him a little tonight, and he was saying that. Aranda definitely is that way in practice. He's the type of guy that like, if a player doesn't have a shirt tucked in, he's, he's not happy with that. And he's going to say something about it, which is like, if you're winning, it's going to work. And if you're not winning, it will probably start to grade on people eventually. But right now we've been winning. So that's, it's, it does work. And then a little... about, about the berm. It's just, if you buy a berm ticket, you can't get into the rest of the stadium. So just keep that. Oh, up. wow. Sounds like a, little bill snyder-esque there with the whole shirt tucked in not tucked and also kind of sounds like the old ga section that we had on the sides with the with the grassy knoll that we had in between veneer and uh and the the student section all right i got one i got one quick one i don't know if you got to get out of here or anything like that mark um jp i'm pretty sure you, you could stay around or whatever but um just a quick question on i'm a uniform guy and you guys made the transition to the bright mustard yellow. I know that's kind of a maybe even a throwback to old times, maybe. But you know the the gold is gone, and that military green is gone. Now it's more of a bright green and a mustard yellow. Is that did the fans take that on very well, or were you always a fan of the gold and like military green? So I'll say you can start, you know, absolute blood feuds on the Our Daily Bears Facebook page by talking at all about our uniforms, either for or against. Uh, I've never met a group of people that care about color integrity like Baylor fans do. There have been some absolute vicious fights about whether black is a school color. Um, You can go for or against. Uh, there's been vicious fights about all the, the anthracite, anthracite, whatever uniforms that, that Bryles tried whenever he was here. There's the gunmetal gray uniforms. Some people hated them. Some people loved them. Uh, the current uniforms are part of the, the rebrand that Baylor did a few years ago uh, to go to this more standardized look, standardized marketing, standardized everything. I forget what they called it, but there was, a, there was an entire uh, – marketing initiative around this, uh, this, the uniforms and the logos and all that stuff. I think they look good. I, I like it. Um, I do agree that it's not quite gold, but they call it Baylor gold. So I, I think it's fine, but uh, I don't think it's going anywhere for a while. So I don't know that it matters much. What I No, and I, I like, I like the uniforms as well. Most people I see don't, especially the yellows. Um, I kind of like them, but I, I definitely don't want to wear them every game. But I, I do think it's dumb that they don't have a black uniform, especially for when they want to do a blackout. But I also just don't think leadership wants to be associated with a blackout at all what, because of the connotations. 
So I, I don't know what to do with that. Wait, like you guys aren't gonna have black like blacked out uniforms this weekend? Well, I we would be shocked. Yeah, I, really? I don't think I don't think they did one with the like in the rebrand. They just didn't do a black one in the contract with Nike. So is like, it what's mostly the whole... because of the Art Briles connection to that? No, I think it's because they wanted brand integrity. They wanted to keep it's either green or it's gold and or white. You know, even more whiteness. So you, uh, that's it. Those are the only three colors that we have jerseys for. I don't think it was about you know, any any you know, throwbacks or or trying to forget the past or anything like that. I think that they just decided we're going to be green, gold, and white. Those are going to be our three jersey colors. Mark, do you know if if the basketball team has ever done a black since the rebrand? I don't remember them doing that. Mm, I don't remember it either. I'd have to I'd have to defer to somebody else, but I can't think of any. I will say I mean, if unfortunately, it's if it's you're a, the senior member here. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say if if it's a black uniform that's done right that incorporates the school colors, great, congrats. Like like pat on the back, you did a good job. If you're doing what Iowa State is doing and you're just completely neglecting your school colors and then going in a matchup against your biggest in-state rival and wearing their colors in an annual matchup against them, that's just stupid. The worst, team. They're the I'm, worst. And I I'm think not going to lie. Order... I, like, I like those uniforms, too. <laughs> oh, man. Come on. <laughs> we, have, we have a little bit more hatred for Iowa State than, than either of y'all probably do, though. Yeah, that's correct. I get that. I just don't have strong, super strong feelings about anybody else's colors, except there. The one super strong feeling I have is that Texas Tech should wear the bass boat helmets all the time. Yes, the black shiny bass boat helmets. They should never wear any. Yes, that's my only. Yeah, that's a good take. All those retro uniforms for Texas Tech are elite, and that's where they yes. should stay. Yes. Uh, Level the bevel. I'm with gambling gauchos all the way, 100% there. Yeah, the, there's really – the only uniforms that really infuriate me are the Iowa State All Blacks. That that irks me to no extent. Um, and then two uniforms that are coming into the conference, um, the, U, the UCF, like – astronaut like stars whatever they're kind of doing down there space you there like yeah the galaxy stuff is just mind-boggling and it needs to die immediately before they come here and i was thinking you guys were talking about the black uniforms byu kind of looks strange with black but i also don't think it looks as bad as it's nowhere near as bad as iowa states but black uniforms with byu they are literally only two colors is blue and blue and white I don't understand why they bring black into it, but you know, to each you know, I, oh no, you could go. I was just say I just don't get the resurgence of all black uniforms because they're so big, like what ten years ago or whatever, and it's just like everyone's coming back with like black uniforms. with the with the chrome helmets like TCU wore against us. It's just so washed at this point. I don't know. I feel like we were. I don't know. <laughs> it's just. It's. Just I mean, I. See, I'll, that's where you will get me because the, the TCU alternate uniforms that rely on, like, they're red because of supposedly the blood, those are garbage. And the TCU people that you can at me all day on Twitter if you hear this, I don't know why you would, but if you do, you can at me. Like, the, the red in their logos is terrible. It's just awful. They need to stick with purple and black or purple and white or whatever it is that their normal stuff is. Whenever they brought in the red, it was terrible. It's always been. I mean, yeah, that's, 
that's that's the only uniform that I can think of that I really don't like is that red. But I will say it it did work for TCU against Kansas State, so I, I guess I can't. You know and that red pops. That red pops. One of my worst, the worst uniform, admittingly, was Baylor's neon yellow uniforms that they wore in basketball when Brady Heslip would be chucking three pointers against us and late Pierre Jackson. God, those uniforms. Did Rodney Magruder win a game on, on a buzzer beater when they wore neons or were they wearing black? Uh, I don't remember. Those, uh, I feel like we were wearing black. I, I think those were neat. Oh, no. I think we were wearing black because it would have been at Baylor. And I mean, typically the either, home team wears white or lighter color. Either yeah, black or gray. It could have been big game grays. I don't think we were wearing grays. I'm pretty sure. I didn't know if that, no, we have a more gray basketball. I'm pretty sure we're wearing black. I'm picturing it in my head. But those neon yellows, ooh, rough. I feel like the, the, the hatred for the neon yellows was what you first said, which was Brady Heslop raining threes, not necessarily the uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> Who was – That's fair. Random question, and this is – I mean, it's a Baylor basketball question. Sure. Because I'm just thinking back to, like, there. who was – I mean, this is years – I think quite a few years before Brady Heslop like maybe Huggins, Frank, early Frank Martin years. Who was your Australian dude that was similar role? Who? Aaron Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. I remember him also bearing threes against K-State. Lace Darius Dunn. The funny thing about Aaron Bruce is I made a joke about him during a game once, and he tweeted me about it. Like he was really upset, but I love that dude. That guy was one of the – he was one of the holdovers when I got there in 2003, like one of the people on the team. When everybody else left, they had to make a team. And I can't remember, maybe he was there in three, maybe he was there in, in 2004. But he was like like the man for those early Scott Drew teams that were not very good. And he's always going to have a place in Baylor history because of the, the commitment that he showed and, and the contribution that he made in those early years. And I love that guy, but I made a joke about him on Twitter, and he did not like it. <laughs> well, and and maybe this is a good time to to pivot over to guys. You know, we for for those who are new here, we do a guys talking ball segment every week where we just you know, chef usually comes to the table with a topic and we and we do a roundtable on it. But really, for this week, we were just going to talk about how excited we are for for the Jerome Tang year, and I think it segues pretty nicely into having a couple Baylor guys on the podcast tonight to to talk through. Jerome Tang and and kind of his contributions and stuff to the Baylor program and now taking over it at K-State. I'm curious, Mark, as someone who was at Baylor at the time or, or at the very beginning of the Scott Drew era, from your perspective, from a first-person perspective, having watched that team and, and seeing the scandal and seeing all of the fallout of all of that, what is it like going from that to a national championship? And And what you know, just kind of tell us a little bit more about that journey that you've taken as a fan and as an alum. So I'm, I'm not sure if you saw the video, but in his very first press conference, when he was announced as the head coach at Baylor university in the midst of one of the worst scandals that has ever happened in major college athletics, Scott Drew said that he came to Baylor to win national championships. And I, 
Nobody obviously laughed at him in that press conference because all the people there are either Baylor people or people that cover Baylor, so nobody would laugh at that. But I'm sure other people did and might have seen it, if they even paid attention to it at all. And to go from that in 2003, in the aftermath of that scandal, um, to actually winning it in 2021 with one of the best teams in recent memory that just absolutely dominated uh, through the tournament and dominated the preseason favorite in terms of uh, Gonzaga. To do that, even though it took you know 18 years, that's a long process. It's a long build. It's an extraordinarily long time to be in one place. But you know, like I said, that was the first year I got there, and then we were watching in 2021 whenever they actually won it, and it's incredible. It's it wouldn't mean as much to me if it hadn't been Scott Drew from beginning to end. And I don't mean end like it's over. I mean, like, the, the, the goal was reached. Hopefully we can reach it again. Um, I equate it a little bit to being I'm a, I'm a Dallas Mavericks fan. I was a huge fan of, of Dirk Nowitzki during his whole time period with the Mavericks. Uh, the fact that he was there from 1998 through winning in 2011, it meant more that he was there the whole time. And it meant more to get that final, you know, the the – championship whenever he won it because it was him because it was everything they put into it and it's the same way for scott drew you know he's i know he's he's had a bit, bit of a reputation maybe an understatement in the past for, for things that happened more early on in his tenure here particularly in recruiting but uh, i think he's generally considered a really good guy if not one of the best um i think he's done an absolutely fantastic job obviously to be in one place for the better part of two decades is unheard of in major college athletics, at least these days. And so it, it meant everything. It meant it was incredible to actually reach that goal. And I couldn't be happier for him. I couldn't be happier for the Baylor people that stuck it out. And I couldn't be happier for Coach Tank. You know, uh, he was there every step of the way. And so to get that and then to, to pivot into his own head coaching job, it's, it's just unbelievable. I, uh, Actually, I just think that's really cool because I, I put it in the comments, but I don't know what interview. I mean, Coach Tang had just, you know, countless interviews after he was hired. And he even said that, in, I mean, at least a couple of them, at least how, you know, their goals is to eventually win a national championship, which, I mean, I think if, you know, he stays here long enough, obviously, you know, there's so many different things that plays into that. Like, I don't think there's any doubt that, he can do it. I mean, he knows what it takes to do it at Baylor when Baylor was at the absolute lowest. So I don't know. It's just very exciting times. It's just a breath of fresh air to have coach Tang and all everything he's already done, you know, even before the season even started to change the mentality and mindset of not just K-State hoops, but K-State's mindset as a whole. And yeah. And so the thing about it, like, like, I had Texas Tech people, when, when they hired Joey McGuire, I went on a couple of their podcasts and they kind of asked me, like, is this guy for real? Because he was coming in and saying similar things, right? Like, I'm going to Lubbock to win. I'm, I'm going to Lubbock to win Big 12 championships, uh, I'm, which I've never done. I'm going to Lubbock to win maybe a national championship. And what I told them was, first of all, I think he's absolutely sincere. Same way I think Coach Tang is sincere. But then second of all, isn't this exactly what you want? Like, isn't this exactly what you're looking for is someone that knows how to climb the mountain coming in and saying, I'm going to climb the mountain? Because, you know, you can laugh about it. You can say, oh, it's not likely to happen. Is it likely to happen? You know, 
statistics being what they are, probably not. Same way it wasn't likely to happen whenever Scott Drew said it in 2003. But coming in and having that attitude, that's exactly what you want in your position. The same way it was exactly what we wanted in our position. Same way if Scott Drew left tomorrow, I'd want somebody else to come in and say, I'm coming here to win national championships because that's what I want to do. And I think we can do it. Right. And I don't I, see any reason to think that Kansas State can't do that. And it's, I just kind of make sense of like what, you know, similar ideas that when, you know, Snyder took over K-State originally is they were the laughing stock of all of college football. And, you know, he had that same mindset of like, no, like I'm, I'm here to win and sure. sure. The opportunity for the greatest so, turnaround in college football history exists here today. And it's not one to be taken lightly. So you've, you've, you guys have Mark, you guys have climbed the mountaintop. You guys have won a national championship at Baylor. Mm-hmm. When I think of Baylor, I think basketball, even before before the national championship. You won the national championship in basketball. Would you trade that in for a national championship in football? So people are going to hate this, but absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, I would. Uh, I'm not uh, – football is my greatest love. Um, you know, I've, we've hired people over the years to write about basketball that are so much more knowledgeable about, about basketball than me, and, um, and I thank them for that. And, of course, they would say, absolutely not. I love Baylor basketball, and it means so much because of all the things we talked about with Scott Drew. And there's that part of it that tugs on me. But, you know, I'm a football fan. You know, football flags fly forever the same way that basketball banners do. And I I just think for Baylor football to win a national championship, if anything, would be even more noteworthy or unlikely than Baylor basketball having done it, even after how far Baylor basketball was down. Because, you know, during the 90s and early 2000s, we were – we were we were Kansas for a while, you know. We were either Kansas or worse. Uh, whenever I first got there, and so if you're asking me straight up, I would trade it. I know other people would say no. Well, that I mean that for me, I think it's obvious, but it it, it kind of it's kind of a you know a preference for your school. And when I think, obviously, the athletic department is doing something correct at Baylor because when you see them, they're having success on all levels at basically every sport. So it's kind of a balanced thing. So, I mean, you guys have the football program where it's, you know, it's not a, like a Kansas. I don't think Kansas would trade their basketball championships in to have a football championship. It, no, they because, just want one more basketball championship. Yeah. They, they want to win in basketball. That's what their identity is. And I think Baylor, Kansas state, Oklahoma State, they're all like balanced schools. Oklahoma, maybe Oklahoma's a football. I would school. I would throw Tech in there uh, too, though. Tech is Tech is fairly yeah. balanced for the most part. Yeah, well, yeah, they're actually they've resurgent because before this, I'd never be actually before the last few years, Tech basketball was never on my radar. And it's similar to what TCU's kind of going they, through they right now. They did have Bobby TCU... Knight, though. They did have Bobby Knight, though. And that's that's what I think of when I think of Tech basketball. I almost go back to the Bobby Knight days, to be honest with you. I always thought Tech, I always thought Bobby Knight and, like, um, what was the guy that used to coach at Kentucky? Um, oh, big Bobby uh, Gillespie or Billy Gillespie? No, 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 no. No, no. What's the – what is that guy's Tubby name? Smith. Black Tubby dude. Smith. Tubby Smith. Tubby yeah, Tubby Smith. Tubby... Tubby Smith, I think of those guys as very gimmicky. Like Texas Tech was in like the gimmick stage of like hiring these 
these really prestigious coaches and they really were on like the tail end of their careers. So like, I'd never thought of tech as a basketball school. TCU never thought of them as a basketball school. Baylor, on the other hand, I always thought as a basketball school, but when I was a kid, Baylor was absolute garbage in football. So like, I never thought of it that way. And it's just, it's the, when I think of championships, I think teams would clearly trade in their, their basketball their pedigree for a football pedigree. But when it comes to Baylor, they're so balanced right now that it's, it's hard to say whether you would or not. Yeah, it's not hard for me, but I understand it would be hard for other people. Anybody got any more questions? I, I think the last thing that I would have, and, and maybe it's just a, a comment, but also a question. My, my sister-in-law went to Baylor and, and is a Baylor alum and she is co- often, you know, commenting on my posts that I'll post on Instagram or whatever of videos from the K-State basketball program. And she's always saying like, this is something that Tang did at Baylor. Or this is something that Scott Drew did at Baylor, whether it's the water balloon fight or, or going on campus and, and sitting on the couch and doing the hang with Tang thing. What, what can you say about the culture that Scott Drew had at Baylor and, 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 I guess I'm also curious, how much of that do you feel like Tang played a role in and how translatable do you think that is? Because I think from from our perspective, we're seeing that it's translating pretty well to a school like K-State. Um, but I guess I'm just curious from your perspective, what are your thoughts on the culture that Scott Drew and Tang brought to Baylor and, and how do you think that's going to translate for, for Tang to K-State or, or for some of these other assistants, maybe Alvin Brooks at some points will, at some point will get a head coaching gig and, and take some of that culture with him wherever he goes. I think it's everything. I think it's absolutely critical to what Drew has done and built at Baylor um, because it, it solidifies things in the absence of maybe the winning tradition that you could point to and say, this is, this is the way we do things at Kentucky because this is the way it's always been done. This is the way it was done, you know, 70 years ago when your grandfathers were playing. We don't obviously have that. But what you can build is this culture that then is passed along person to person and reinforced person to person year after year that kind of builds on itself. And, and as far as what Tang brought to it, I think he was – integral to it because I think anybody that's involved in it becomes integral to it. Cause if you have one bad apple, it really does kind of ruin the whole thing. I'll tell you, I, when I went to the BYU game, I went with the Baylor group. I went on the Baylor charter that went up there. They had a, a group of fans that you could go. And we heard from Jared Butler, who was at that point with the Utah jazz, isn't with him anymore. I don't know where he ended up, but, uh, he talked a lot about that the national championship season and how difficult it was because of COVID and because of the lockdowns and, and so on and so forth. And, he, and a lot of what he talked about was just how much fun they had together and and how because of the culture that they had, spending that like month in the bubble at the NCAA tournament didn't feel like spending a month. And so where there was all these other teams that they would talk to or play against that were almost happy to be done, happy to get out, like go back to real life. They didn't want to. They wanted to keep winning to stay in that environment and stay together and keep doing what they were doing and having so much fun. And I don't think you get that without a strong culture. And so when you when you do have that, that's kind of the end result is guys that want to be together, play together, stay together, all that stuff. 
and and I think it's absolutely critical to what Drew's built. And it's kind of counterintuitive to what people thought he was building, which was like one and dones, you know, high talent, low motivation, that sort of deal. That's really not what they've become. And it's not what he's built the ultimate success out of. Yeah, from from everything I've seen so far, Tang has taken that and and he's really plugged that into the program at K-State because we we talk about these recruiting visits where Keontae Johnson's coming in and they're doing karaoke at Coach Tang's house. And Coach Tang bought a house that was within a mile and a half of campus. So explicitly, so on recruiting visits, kids could come over, recruits could come over and and hang out and they could do family dinners. And, and they do these family dinners, I think, once a week with the entire team. And it, it really does feel like a very different culture and environment than not to knock Bruce Weber or, or really any of the coaches previously, but it really feels more like a family, which fits the K-State mold. And and I know it can feel a little bit overplayed sometimes, but I, I do think the whole like K-State family mantra is a real thing and, and Tang fits that perfectly. But Mark, man, I, I well, really you appreciate you. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, t- I'll tell you what another part of that is when you talk about buying a house, it's like uh, within a certain distance, you know, the guy's rich, right? He's making more money than any of us could imagine. So he can clearly buy a house anywhere he wants to. But what strikes me about that is the intentionality of it. Like that was an intentional choice that he made because he believed that it would help him and the program in some specific way. And I think that would be the big takeaway from what Scott Drew has done, which is I'm going to build this program and we're going to be intentional in everything that we do because it leads to the result of winning. And I think, like, you take it to the ultimate example, Nick Saban. Does that guy do anything that's not intentional? Does he do anything that's not directed towards winning? And I, I think the best programs are, across any sport, intentional about winning. And the, the worst programs or the underachieving programs are the ones that aren't intentional about winning. Case in point, the University of Texas. Why is it that every single year in every single sport they underachieve almost without fail? It's because I think they're not intentional about winning. They're intentional about all these other things. They're intentional about the brands, about the boosters, about the fundraising, about whatever it is that you want to talk about. But it's not about winning. But for guys like Scott Drew, other guys that have been super successful, I don't know about John Calipari. I've read some things I couldn't tell you for certain. But I think Coach Tang is going to be the same way. It's intentional about building a culture, and it's intentional about winning. And, and that's what I think the biggest takeaway would be about what he's experienced and what he's learned in Waco and what he will bring to you guys. Yeah, you, you will not find any argument from me there. And, and I think at the end of the day, as long as – I think Tang said it himself too, but as long as you're building good men and good character out of the, the individuals who are on your team and, and guys that – you can get invited to their weddings in, in 10, 15, 20 years after they're playing for you. Like that's, that's what that culture is all about. But Mark, man, I, I really appreciate you giving us your time. Obviously our, our thoughts and prayers are with you and your family and, and your wife during this time as well, but, but appreciate you giving us your time tonight, especially given, given all that you've got going on on the personal life side. No, I appreciate it. You guys are fun. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks Mark. I mean, that was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that as well as thank you for giving us Jerome Tang. Don't, 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 and I'll leave you with one thing. Don't drink. All right, I'll take it.
but hey, thanks guys. I'm going to drop off. I appreciate your time. Awesome. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. All right, y'all. Let's go around the horn real quick and get your predictions in, and then we've got uh, you know our locks for the week. But I think we've we've got guys talking ball covered, unless we want to get into some of the detail of the game. But I think I'll I'll throw it over real quick to Chef and Matt, and then we'll go to uh, JP, Nick, and Cole. Yeah, I'll start it off first. My prediction, uh, you know. Two different teams. They're three and they're three and zero oh in their last three. We're one and two in our last three. We've had some tightly contested games. I will say that Baylor has their their schedule is backloaded, so I think the real meat of their schedule is coming up right now. The game not being a sellout is kind of weird to me. So I'm I'm not thinking that crowd is going to be too much of a factor. But I've got the score 33-32. to 32. Baylor goes for it on two on the last play of the game, and they don't get it. We sneak out with a dub. Ooh, that's a ballsy prediction. You don't see a lot of 33-32 end games. And, but I'm here for it. Cause it's a win. I'm a, uh, I'm going simple 27, 24. I do think it's going to be close a little bit of a lower scoring game, I guess. Um, I was also thinking about Adrian Martinez and how Baylor has had some trouble with quarterbacks that have a primary focus of being able to run. Um, and I think we'll be able to, to cover that matchup a little bit more effectively. Still think it's going to be close 27, 24 cats, two fireball shots. Uh, if I'm going next, um, I I don't – I mean, you talked about the crowd a little bit there. It, it won't play that much of a role, especially like even the Oklahoma State game. It, the crowd wasn't into it at the end. Um, so I, I don't think – I don't know that the sellout matters as much, but it's just the, the Baylor crowd usually isn't that much of a factor unless it's a huge, huge game. Um I I watched a lot of Adrian Martinez when he was at Nebraska because my dad went there. So I, I've been subjected to the bad Adrian Martinez years. And, and I think that the turnover bug can strike again. He didn't have enough last week. He can get some more this week. Um, I'm going to go 31-28 Baylor. Um, so we cover the two-and-a-half-point spread. My turn, I take it. Yeah, Nick, um, go ahead. And then we'll hit Cole, and then I'll give mine. I think that K-State is going to hit 35, Baylor 24. I think Deuce is going to break out and go over 150 rushing and have a touchdown rushing and as well as a touchdown for receiving. So um, I, I just think he's due. His, his time is due to uh, get that type of a game. So it's going to. I am going to go uh, Cats 30, Baylor 23, Cats cover, but the current under hits. Um, I don't know. I just feel like the this team, every time there's been a, a two previous or oh, shit, two previous losses before Texas, they've bounced back in big ways. Um, so I just think. I think the cats are going to bounce back. They're usually anytime there's a fallback, they they get their shit together. 
and they bounce back in big ways. So I will hope we hope we see get hope we see them. I hope you're right about that. So considering we had the reverse jinx last week and uh, Mark just tried to reverse jinx us with his prediction, I'm going to throw the reverse jinx out there and I've got Baylor winning 24 to 20. Oof. Yuck. It's Ooh. it's tough. It's tough. I don't like That's it, a great but pick. hey, I, I I'm going to I'm going to take the reverse jinx here. And with that, we're going to go ahead and move on to our locks for the week. So for me, last week was a bloodbath yet again, uh, really on a cold streak right now. We need a big heater to get it right. And so what I'm hitting this week, I've got Colorado at USC plus 34 and a half. That's just so many freaking points. I think Colorado is going to cover that game. I've got Indiana at Ohio State over 58 and a half. Fingers crossed on that one. I've also got K-State at Baylor. I'm going over 53 and a half. My uh, score prediction doesn't really indicate that, but I'm going with the over there. And then uh, KU at Tech, I'm going under 64 and a half. I don't know why, but I went with Parker at Stats of War and his uh, advanced analytics on all of these. I guess the last one I've got is TCU plus seven and a half. I think Texas is going to pull out the win, but I think TCU covers. Those are some good picks. Maybe you'll have a better week. I hope so. I, mean, I need, I need it. Week. I need it. Yeah. Um, I only had one hit last week, which is LSU over Alabama. This week, um, I'm going LSU minus three at Arkansas. UCF to upset our Tulane green wave in New Orleans. I TCU plus seven over Texas. I think they're going to win. Um, and then Ole Miss plus 12 hosting Alabama. Let's go four and oh boys and girls. God, you, you guys need it. I mean, I'm last week. My critiques of your picks were just as bad as your picks. So <laughs> I don't know even how, I don't know how that's even possible. Because none of us did good, so it was, it's it's all bad. I'm terrible at picks. You guys are the pickers, and I'm right. I'm gonna actually ride with you guys this week. I'm gonna agree with everything that you said, especially the Ohio State over. They're gonna they're gonna do weird and strange, probably illegal things to Indiana this year for how they played versus Northwestern last week. Well, dude, dude, I got burned two weeks ago on the Ohio State Penn State under. So I'm thinking there's probably going to be at least two garbage time touchdowns like there were in that one. So, I mean, I just I, I, I need I need some luck here and I'm trying to I'm trying to get some shit done. And we just need we need something to hit. We need parlays hitting, baby. I want everybody's parlays to absolutely smush this week because God. nobody. I didn't win the Powerball, and I need you guys to take care of me when I get old. So start hitting these parlays, goddamn! I, ju- I just want to say something real quick. Uh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say um, if anybody else has any commentary or if anybody else has any locks they want to throw out there. Ah. I was I was really hoping last week that uh, that Megan's lock of the A and M under was gonna hit, and I I trailed or I trailed that one. And it was a bloodbath. I mean, it it was just totally, totally irrelevant. No locks for me. I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. 
um, since I flew back to Kansas this past weekend, I was like, well, I'm going to download all these apps, drop some money in each app to get not only me some free bets, but also referral codes for my, my brother-in-law and my friends, some free bets. And guys, let me tell you, I'm still not good at sports betting. <laughs> I'm terrible. I whiffed it. I made and what the thing is just like I you think after a while I would learn that we should all learn. Parlays are stupid. At the most, do a three-game parlay. Never do more than three games. Anytime you do more than three, it'll always end up being the last one. That's Unless not where the money is. Eight hundred dollars. Yeah, like that's I not had earlier this year, and I pissed it all away. I pissed that's it all. That's not where away. the money is at, Cole. I got. I got. I got to tell you one funny story. Uh, so I also have my offshore like illegal shit down here, supposedly. Um, and there's one time. Uh, it was like last year. Also, guys, avoid the online casinos or the uh, the casinos on the apps and shit. Oh Those fuck, you mean uh, like the one ones, time? Dude, the ones where yeah, you in can the play app. you where you can play like live roulette and there's some random woman in a random casino. Oh no, in, like, not Serbia. not even not even that. Not, okay, not even I'll that. stop like, talking then. I uh so you know I have this <laughs> offshore site and there was one time like last year I got I we were drink I was drinking having a good night like we had some drinks and all this and after everyone went to bed, I was like, well, I'm just going to hop on here. I have a few bucks, like not much in my account because it's a pain in the ass to put money in those accounts. I played slots and literally like within the first three spins I got, I won like 400 some bucks and I was freaking out. I was like, oh, this is awesome. And me being drunk, played roulette after that and kept playing roulette, lost it all in that same night. I remember I woke up the next morning. So sad. It's so so just stay away, stay away from the uh, the online anything gambling. That's it's so funny because yes. typically when I lose a parlay, you know, like a ten or twenty dollar parlay, if I'm in a state that allows online gambling, I go on and play blackjack, and I actually just get the money back. That's how it always works. I must have I must be really good at blackjack. Maybe that's my like. I had a friend who introduced me to sports betting at Baylor and he was just really good at blackjack on the, on the offshore site. And that was, I, I don't know how he did it. Cause I was, I lost money every time I played, but um, yeah, I, I have to stay away from that cause I will lose money every time, but I, I do like sports bet. I have some locks of the week. I actually am going to record a podcast after this. That is about sports betting. If I can plug, uh, do Jason it Winter's podcast please do. I do it for my my buddy runs this uh account this youtube account and uh we we do a college football nfl podcast sometimes um so gonna record that after this my best bets on there are uh two seven and one on the year so i i don't recommend taking this one but uh, i am on unc plus four against wake forest this week uh i i like the uh, Tar Heels to pull that one out, even though they are underdogs on the road there. And then about Ole Miss, 86% of the public is on them at home this week. 86% of the public is taking Ole Miss plus 11 and a half or 12. Um, so I have to take Alabama. I, I really don't like it, but I 86% of the public is way too much. 
plug that plug that pod again. What is it called? Chasing winners. Yeah, it's it's chasing winners. If you follow me on Twitter, I'm at Viking Fan JP. Um, then I I tweet out the links, so I'll, I'll tweet it out Thursday or Friday. Um, and we just kind of go through the the biggest games of the week. We'll go through our best bets. We started throwing a parlay on there because we kept losing, so we just decided to start putting more picks on there. Um, so yeah, my buddy and I just kind of go through we pick a certain number of games every week. And then at the end of the year, whoever has the better record gives the other guy 50 bucks. So at least we have kind of stakes on it that you can keep track of. Man, I love it. And that's, uh, that's available on Spotify and Apple and, and all the major podcasting platforms. That one is not, that's actually just on YouTube. Um, okay. The guy doesn't pay for it to be on Spotify. So um yeah, you can find it on YouTube. I'll, I tweet out the YouTube link, um, or it's just if you look up Chasing Winners Podcast on YouTube, uh, then it'll be there. Well, I'll do you a solid here, JP. When we when we publish this out, listen to the ad at the very beginning of the podcast, and you can publish you can publish that stuff out for free, uh, and it gets on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all that good stuff. So so keep your keep your eyes peeled. I'll go ahead and tweet these links out once we get it published tonight. After I go through editing and and you should be able to get that published out so you get to get a little larger audience for that because that sounds intriguing. I'm definitely going to add that to the rotation myself. Thanks. Appreciate it. Although as a Vikings fan, I mean, this is a pretty special season going on right now with the old Kirky. Kirk. uh, Yeah. Big big Kirko is, is enjoyable this year. Yep. Wow, that's it. Okay, he's enjoyable this year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I have to like it because it's going well. Um, it, I don't love the you know the the fraud national media kind of thing that that's going on right now, but it's probably justified because we keep getting kind of lucky with injuries the same way I guess TCU was. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of enjoying it. I'm usually more of a pessimistic guy by nature, especially when it comes to sports. Uh, cause I've lived through, you know, 2009, that Viking season, Bounty Gate. Um, and then I was born right after the, the 98 debacle. So I try to be more pessimistic about the Vikings and I'm just kind of enjoying it for what it is where Justin Jefferson is a really great fantasy receiver to have. <laughs> For sure. I like how I like how Cole was asking, "How does one become a Vikings fan?" I said, you, "I, I you're tuned from out Minnesota." I, I tuned out. Sorry, <laughs> I, I, I tuned out real bad. Yeah, you're I mean, good. Yeah, I, I grew up in I grew up in Minnesota, uh, came to Baylor, and then moved to Dallas after I graduated. Very cool, dude. I mean, I get it though. My my dad my dad grew up in South Dakota, and he's from like the Vikings, Purple People Eaters, Super Bowl. Yep. You know, they never won. And I'm not going to rub that in on you because I'm a Kansas City <laughs> Chiefs fan and we won, you know, Super Bowl four. But hey, I, you know, I get it. I get it. If you grew up in the area, if you grew up in the region, I know Cyclone Larry is a Vikings fan. So yeah, he there's is. there's Vikings fans out there. Yeah, that's 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 how they get you. They you grow up and they're they're really good. And then you just suffer for the rest of your life. And then you're just holding on to kind of the good times the same way my dad was in school when Nebraska was winning national championships and then he's suffering the rest of his life so he's living vicariously through my my Baylor graduation there (laughs) yeah part of part of being a sports fan is living through the ups and downs and and God knows that us K-State fans have had our fair share of those but 
I mean, I think I think that does it for us for tonight. So, J- I mean, JP, thanks a ton for for hopping on tonight and in the clutch, in a pinch. Appreciate having you on and, and being able to plug your stuff. I mean, for for all of us here at Cocaine Willie, we are um, you know super thankful for everybody for listening in tonight and contributing. For everybody on the on the podcast feed, geez, oh man, I'm messing up all my words. For everybody on the podcast feed, thank you as well. Next week, we have Jeremy Phoenix from the Raspy Voice Kids podcast lined up for the West Virginia preview. Stay tuned to the feed. Tell your friends. Drop by the live show or check out our recorded episodes the next day on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And finally, give Cocaine Willie a follow on Spotify to be notified of new episodes as they drop. And then leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. We would love some five-star reviews out there. If you like the show, if you hate the show, if you're, you know, not a fan of K-State, I don't even really want you to go ahead and plug your stuff there or give a review. But, hey, I, I just want some good reviews. So those of you who are listening right now, leave us a five-star review. We would love that. And, uh, I mean, with that, give Cocaine Willie a follow on Spotify. Leave us a review. If you're on Twitter, follow the show at Cocaine Willie or follow us individually. I am at Bob Trollsby. Chef is at Chef Andre Napier. And unfortunately, at Fireball Matt is taken. So Fireball Matt is at Matt Marchesini. Chef? Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We're all coke and no joke. Wildcat country? That's right. Yeah.